Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's going to be our theme song. It'll be just a silent recording of me going, ooh, and it'll be flat and out of tune every time. That's good. This is mystery murdery thingy thingy thingy. Happy Wednesday. Yeah, hump day. Hump day? How's your hump day? Mike, 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 Mike. Guess what day it is. Nap day? No, I'm not. Oh. You know, Mario... We when both nap today. When will you understand my references? Never. Never. Um, so, welcome to... Mystery Murdery Thingy. Mystery Murdery Thingy. My name's, my name's Chloe. Her name's Chloe. Your name's Mario. My name's Mario. That's Mario. We're Mario and Chloe. We're Clario. That's terrible. Or Moe? Oh, that's also terrible. Zilva? Ooh, that's the worst one so far. Salat. That's... Silvat. I didn't think they could get worse. You know, <laughs> don't <laughs> underestimate me. <laughs> that's really bad. <laughs> those, are, those are some ragged portmanteaus you got there. Yay! Okay. Um. What? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so, this is episode number six. Number yes. five? No, six. This is number six. I'm pretty sure. Go yes. us. We're actually doing We're it. We're doing the thing. <laughs> doing thing. Don't forget to it's like only, and it's only subscribe. 7.40 on a Wednesday. <laughs> we're getting to it. I know, yeah. We decided we're going to do Wednesdays now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> we're totally on top of it. Stay tuned. Wednesday nights. Hit us up. Might be a little late. Might be a little late. But It'll yes, be there. Please subscribe. And wait. Yeah. we haven't gotten very many ratings. Not enough for it to like show up yet. So I'm not please surprised. Please rate us. Please rate, subscribe, do all the things. Yes. Um, we're super excited. So we are big. Okay, so let's start. Are you gonna do a mystery, a murdery, or a thingy? Yeah, mine's kind of a thingy. 
All right. Yeah, mine is two. Yeah. Mine's a mystery thingy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure who should really go first this week. I don't know. Um, I don't care. I think, how long is yours? Uh, <laughs> I don't think it really four matters. Pages. I'll uh, go. I can go first. Okay, you go first. Okay. So, all right. Okay, yes. all right. Okay, yes, all right. Yes, yes. Okay, go. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the so-called Cuban sonic attacks. So I call them so-called Cuban sonic attacks because it's not clear. They definitely happened in Cuba, mm -hmm. but it's not clear that, A, they're perpetrated by the Cuban government or mm -hmm. anyone having to do with Cuba. A sonic attack. B, it's not clear that they're sonic, and C, it's not clear that they're attacks. What do you mean it's not clear that they're sonic? You know what? It's, You're going to get into that. Yeah, it's sort of <laughs> in dispute. So the incidents started in December of 2016. Oh, and, so that's like pretty recent. Yeah, so pretty recently. And they continued over at least several months. Um, and, and this is in Havana, uh, Cuba. Havana, unana. Right, specifically at the embassy in, in Havana, and maybe also at some hotels in Havana the, as well. The, the Cuban embassy there? Or well, like the U.S. The, embassy the US in Havana. The U.S. embassy? Yeah. The, oh. The U.S. embassy in Havana. Which was only reopened, you know, a little bit before that, like in 2015. Because of the rapprochement that was, you know, um, that uh, President Obama spearheaded um, to try to lessen tensions and... All of that with uh, with the Cuban government, um, which of course now is being somewhat reversed by the Trump administration, and the and this these incidents actually kind of play into that as well. So there were at least twenty four U.S. officials, and also some Canadian officials, and maybe also some tourists. It's not entirely clear who have reported health issues. Um, while serving in uh, the, the U.S. Embassy or the Canadian Embassy, respectively, in Havana. So the, the uh, symptoms that they describe are like headaches, difficulty concentrating, hearing loss, brain damage, tinnitus, concussions. So some pretty serious stuff. And at least one uh, of the American diplomats is, like, going to have to wear a hearing aid for the rest of his life. So, clearly, something happened, right? Like, these people experienced these symptoms. They were um, reviewed, you know, uh, by doctors. They did scans. Like, these are real physical things that, that definitely happened. Uh -huh. So when I say it's not clear that they're sonic or that they're attacks... It's, it's not clear exactly what happened, but definitely something happened to these people. And be, because of this, um, the United States made, like, two uh, Cuban diplomats leave the country. And we took a lot of our diplomatic personnel out of Cuba. Because basically, the State Department said they couldn't guarantee their safety. So they didn't really feel, I guess, like they could keep them. So there's just like a bare bones kind of crew so at the Cuban happened? embassy. So what happened? What caused these? Well, no one knows what, what caused them. But like I said, there were 24 U.S. officials who reported having these health issues. And they believed they were being attacked by sonic weapons because at the same time that the symptoms happened, they reported hearing sounds. 
and the sounds kind of differed. Some of them reported hearing like low rumbly kind of sounds. Some of them reported hearing, you know, kind of more like clicking kind of sounds. And what the one really weird thing is that the they said uh, the the people who were experiencing these the victims said that they basically could move like from one side of the room to the other and the sound would stop. That's weird. Right, which according to acoustics experts it is not physically possible. So it's not really possible for, you know, someone to use like a sonic weapon that we know about, like that does actually exist and for it to be that targeted. So, so there, what, there, there's nothing that we know of that could actually do that. What is an example of a sonic weapon? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So sonic weapons that, that actually exist, um, there's one type that are called long range, um, acoustic devices. And these basically create a tight beam of really deafening noise. So, so this is high, high decibel ah. noise. And these have been used several times um, by the United States. Um, so one, they used them against Somali pirates in 2005. Uh, they also, the U.S. police used them at the G20 summit in uh, Pittsburgh in 2009. And also in 2014 in the Ferguson, Missouri protests. Oh, so, hell no. So they're, they're basically a, a, like a dispersion device. Well, I think that's better than using, you know, rubber bullets or yeah. certainly live ammunition. That, that makes so, sense. So, I mean, these are, you know, less lethal or non-lethal, you know, means. Um, now, there are also these other type of devices. So the, the long-range acoustic devices, like I said, it's, it's high-intensity tight beam. Um, so so that, that is kind of concentrated, but it is super loud. I mean... There's no way that if if I were beaming this into a building, that only one room would hear it. That's physically impossible. They would wake up the whole building. So that clearly the long range acoustic devices, although it seems like they might be a candidate for what happened in Cuba, really could not have been what what caused these um, these symptoms. Now there are also these things called mosquito devices that make really high-pitched sounds, and they, they basically use them to discourage loitering youths. Um, they, they were first implemented in Wales, and be, because, um, as you may know, when one gets older, one loses the ability to hear really high sounds. Yeah. Be, because the, the smaller end of the cochlea, basically the hairs, um, it, it, it gets uh, atrophied, and they, they can't be used anymore. So... You can't physically can't hear those high high sounds, so those mosquito devices also are not really a good candidate for what happened here, because the device would have to be really close to you, like five to ten feet away, and just clearly that's not what happened here because they the people you know the victims didn't um, say that they saw anything, they didn't see any devices, they just heard stuff. So nobody can agree on what it really sounded like. You said it's been, it's reported has been different. There different are um, recordings that that purport to be what it is, and they consider it's a very complicated soundscape. So it's like they think about twenty different distinct tones that are all going at the same time, and also this kind of like clicking sound that's in there as well. But it's just not clear that that's actually connected with what happened. So they're they're 
they happen at the same time. They, they hear these things and they start feeling the symptoms at the same time. Mm-hmm. But it's just not clear that whatever's creating that sound is also creating the symptoms. Okay. Right? It's that sort of distinction between causation and correlation, right? They're correlated, but there's no real indication that they're, they're caused from one another. And in, in fact, the Cuban government contends that this may have been simply uh, cicadas, that are like really, really loud. That's that, a boring that explanation. It, it is a very boring explanation. I'd like to think something more mysterious. <laughs> right. So basically, experts say that it's pretty much impossible to focus sound that could actually harm someone to that extent. Um, there are sonic weapons, like I said, that can cause pain and cause hearing loss. But what they experienced really implies, like, if it were a sonic weapon, that it would be, like, a really powerful sonic weapon. Um, And that just doesn't really seem to be the case. So there's a a quote here I found from a former MIT researcher named Joseph Pompey. And he said, quote, brain damage and concussions from an acoustic weapon are not possible. Somebody would have to submerge their head into a pool lined with very powerful ultrasound transducers, close quote. So, like I said, that when the doctors examined them, they found evidence of brain damage. They found evidence that some of these people had been concussed. But that just could not have been any sort of known sonic weapon. Um, so, you know, that it, 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 it should be, it's frustrating because it should, it seems like it should be that, right? Like, it should be easy to figure out, like, oh, it was just this type of weird sonic weapon that we've never heard of. But it just doesn't really seem physically possible for that to have been the case. So people who were found concussed, were they also saying that I felt these symptoms when I heard that sound? Yeah, no, they definitely link them together. That's you know, they, they feel as though they heard the sound and it caused the symptoms. But... Again, it's it's just not, like, clear that that could have been the case. So, you know, the U.S. has been investigating, you know, the State Department, the FBI um, have been investigating. The Cuban government even in, invited the FBI to Cuba to investigate. Mm-hmm. So the, the Cuban government is very, very insistent that they have nothing to do with this. They don't know what's going on. They have no way of you know, dealing with this, like, they're just as befuddled as we are, according to them. Now, there are certain people in the American government who are accusing the Cubans of being involved somehow, like Marco Rubio, um, Rex Tillerson has made some, you know, gestures toward that. Oh my god, I love Marco Rubio. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he is cute. Oh, I will not deny that he was definitely the best looking person who ran for president Gross. in this past election cycle. <laughs> but I mean, hey, not that much competition, right? <laughs> um, so basically they investigated and they, uh, the U.S. government thinks that it was a covert sound weapon creating the tones outside of human hearing. Either infrasound, which is like... Um, below the level, like low, low sounds below the level of human hearing or um, ultrasound, which is above the, Mm -hmm. that. So basically below 20 Hertz or above 20,000 Hertz, which is like the range of human hearing. According to Wikipedia, where I got some information, the U S like I said, expelled two Cuban diplomats, but 
they didn't officially say that it was because of a retaliation, because of these attacks. Um, they just kind of did it, and they didn't really explain why they were doing it, but it seems clear that they were doing it as a retaliation. But I guess since they couldn't, like, definitively say it was Cuba who did it, yeah. they didn't want to, like, make that, a like, determination publicly. And like I said, the Cuban Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Cuban government, they, you know, completely deny any involvement whatsoever. So I think probably the most interesting theory or, or, or kind of explanation that I found was that it, it was some kind of infrasound, whether a weapon or, or something present in the environment that then maybe um, combined with some other factors that could have created these symptoms. So, so basically, when one is exposed to infrasound, right, which is, like I said, below 20 hertz, you, you can't hear it per se, but your body feels it. That's weird. Right. And like, for example, there are people who live near um, wind turbines, mm-hmm. which, which actually make, make a, a sound that's at about 18.9 hertz, which happens to be the resonant frequency. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, t- I'm talking about a different thing. Th- this was a, um, actually a, a, an experiment or, or kind of a, a study, I guess, that this engineer named Vic Tandy did where he was actually working in, um, in a lab and he had all these weird symptoms like depression, feelings of being watched. He thought he like, <gasps> saw things out of the side of his eye, um, just really weird stuff. And what they found eventually was that it was actually a fan that was resonating, like I said, at 18.9 hertz, which happens to be the resonant frequency of the human eyeball. So the way resonant frequencies work is that, you know, basically if you create a tone that's a, at the same resonant frequency as a, a as a solid body, then it'll cause that solid body to vibrate extremely. So what it was doing was it was actually vibrating his eyeballs. Ah! And that is why he was getting these weird symptoms, like feeling like he was being watched or seeing things that like weren't actually there. So, you know, infrasound can cause some weird symptoms. So we do know that. Um, So I think, you know, that makes it kind of an interesting possibility to me. Um, you said 20 hertz was like human hearing. That's the low end of the human hearing okay. range. Exactly, right. exactly. But but you, you do feel it, right? Okay. It's that, you know, rumbling kind of sound. Um, also, in terms of intensity, so the decibels, above 130 decibel pressure waves can... That's really high. That's extremely high. So So that high of intensity of sound... Can, can cause nausea and discomfort oh my God. basically by stretching, shrinking the liquid or gas in our internal organs and, and also the cochlear fluid. So yeah. bas- basically your inner ear. Um, but sound this, can do that? Like, move, like, I feel like I knew that, but... Well, the thing is that sound waves, right, are always, in a sense, doing that. I mean, that's how we hear Pressure waves propagate through air, and then they get um, funneled into our ear, where then they get translated into pressure waves in the cochlear fluid, which then gets translated in, into waves along the cochlea itself, which then gets turned into uh, electrical impulses 
that are fed into the brain. So it's a totally normal process, right? But when it's at that high, high level of intensity, that's where it can cause, you know, damage, but also like nausea and like other symptoms that you wouldn't necessarily link to hearing, but apparently those things are actually linked. But again, this requires a very powerful device. Like you said, 130 decibels is super, super high intensity. That's like louder than a jet plane. Right. And the military has developed such weapons. But but like I said before, we would know if it were that. that yeah, because it's so this. loud. Because it's so loud. It would be so... There's no possible way that you could create that on one side of a room, but not the other side of a room. Yeah. It's just... It is physically impossible, according to what we know, that that could have happened. So, like you said, the theory is that it's the intra sounds. Well, uh, infra. but oh, infra. Right, but... According to James Parker, an expert in sound law at the University of Melbourne. Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne. Melbourne in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, who was quoted in a CNN article. Um, he said that he does not know of any infrasound weapon of that kind that actually does exist. So there's really not enough research to establish that prolonged exposure to infrasound can be damaging. But... Um, I mean, I did find that one, you know, Vic Tandy guy who seems to have made some establishment of that fact, at least. But there, there's no real known weapon that could could do that. So um, there, there's a theory that this may actually not be a weapon, per se, but that it may be surveillance or attempted surveillance gone wrong, which has happened in the past, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get into that a little bit now. So a man named John Seifer, um, who wrote a post on uh, the website Just Security, says that he thinks it's, quote, more likely a surveillance effort gone wrong, yeah. close quote. So, you know, the, the thing with, with, with the Cubans and it being a, an attack and all this stuff, Apart from it just doesn't make – not making sense from a physics standpoint, it really doesn't make political sense either for that yeah. to be the case um, because, I mean, you think about it. In December of, um, you know, 2016, yes, we had just had the election and, yes, Trump um, was definitely going to, to to pull back on the opening up to Cuba that, that uh, the Obama administration had done. But – the Cuban government doesn't have any real incentive to shake, you know, to to poke the bear in a sense, right? If anything, they would have wanted to be extra conciliatory toward us to try to keep those um, openings up that the Obama administration had started. They really would have no incentive to, to rile things up with us, right? So that just doesn't kind of make sense from that point of view. But... Could they be allowing surveillance to be going on or could they be doing surveillance? Yes. I mean, that's, I think, a lot more possible. And, and there are definitely sort of other surveillance techniques that have been used in the past, specifically by Russia, which have resulted in harm to their surveillance targets. So, for example, they've used um, radioactive dust. So, you know literally dust that's radioactive, which they then place um, where they know, for example, a suspected American spy is going to be. So that American spy picks up the radioactive dust 
and then they can go back later and see everywhere that that person has been. Oh. Right? So they know, oh, you claimed not to have met with this guy who we think is an American spy, but this radioactive dust leaves a, leaves a literal trail showing yeah. that you did. So um, they've also used electromagnetic waves and X-rays in the past as well. Um, the Russians have in, in attempts to surveil, which have ended up causing some harm to uh, U.S. diplomats in the past. So, for example, in the mid-'80s, at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, the Russians used a sophisticated um, covert device to spy um, by... Basically, they um, implanted a listening device inside of a plaque that they gave as a gift (gasps) to to the diplomat, and it itself did not have any power, and it didn't have any batteries, so they, they didn't pick it up in the sweeps of bugs that they, you know, just regularly do. Yeah. But what the Russians were actually doing was beaming in electromagnetic waves to power the device. which Science, which man. I know Science. Which ended up causing some other issues, and then they found out about it. Um, okay, so I guess that, I can see how that makes sense. In, right. In the, in, the, in the context of these symptoms and stuff. Exactly, exactly. So so that's kind of one, you know, um, possibility. It's, it's not totally clear what type of device that would be that could cause this, but it, it's a possibility. Um, another possibility is a lot of neurologists believe that there could be a kind of mass hysteria that helped to elucidate the situation. So, in other words, these symptoms could be, to some extent, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they could be psychosomatic. Okay. Right. Um, so they could be a result of some sort of malfunctioning of the nervous system, or they could be psychosomatic. Um, people in close proximity in a really high-stress environment have been known in the past to... Um, elicit similar symptoms psychosomatically in that way. And, you know, certainly that's a very high-stress environment. Um, I think especially if you're being told that you could be the victim of some sort of weird sonic weapon that no one knows what it is, right? Yeah. I think you can, I mean, I think it's not hard to imagine how a sense of panic and and, and stress could really infect a, a group of people, right? When they're, you know, in a foreign country altogether, you know, kind of in that environment. So neurologists believe that perhaps this could have started from a minor ailment that then got magnified through that anxiety and thinking more, you know, about what what uh, what could happen as opposed yeah. to what you're actually feeling. And, and then it sort of just spirals in, in that way and then spreads to other people. Um, So John Stone, a University of Edinburgh neurologist, um, says that these kind of functional neurological disorders, um, or that's his term for this type of of situation, are actually the second commonest reason to see a neurologist. I I really didn't realize that. That you think something's going on, but it's not? Exactly. These kind of psychosomatically created uh, neurological um, disorders... They're just a lot more common than than I really had known. 
Um, I, w- I was kind of inclined to dismiss that theory out of hand, but apparently it's it's got some some merit to it, according to a number of uh, neurologists and medical professionals, including also Robert Bartholomew, a medical sociologist, who says, quote, mass psychogenic illness is by far the most plausible explanation, close quote. So this guy, Robert Bartholomew, definitely thinks that, that like, it was this kind of psychogenic, functional, neurological disorder kind of thing that, so that, that was causing this. So really hap- nothing really happened or... Well, that, that it started from something small and in- relatively innocuous, and then it just kind of spiraled because of all of the anxiety and, and this, this kind of uh, mass um, hysteria kind of thing. And, and then the last explanation that I'll talk about uh, possible explanation is actually uh, poison. So there are these things called uh, autotoxins, O-T-O-T-O-X-I-N-S. And basically that means they're toxic to the ear, right? And there are known side effects of some chemotherapies and antibiotics that are autotoxic. Um, but in order to have that effect, typically they would have to be administered intravenously, so with, which I mean clearly that didn't happen here. Sorry, so what with like a syringe, right, right, into the veins. In other words, um, lead and mercury poisoning have also been known to have autotoxic effects, but they would show up in a blood test, and and the diplomats were their blood was presumably tested and and did not find lead or mercury poisoning. Now there were also some solvents that are autotoxic and can stay in blood a short time. So that's really the best guess as to what kind of poison could have been involved here. So in other words, some kind of cleaner or something that they used in the building. Oh, and that could even be both an accident and an attack. Exactly, right? exactly. I mean, we don't know. It, and the the thing about, you know, these... Um, these uh, embassies is that typically the people, like the staff that work there, are yeah. usually locals. Okay. So, oh, okay. You know, and, and and I know at least in terms of the Russian embassy, there have been issues in the past where, yeah. you know, and obviously they do a lot of vetting on these people, but clearly those are the ones that the, the hostile governments are going to go after, right? Because they have it, have the access. So, um, some kind of solvent being an autotoxin. Uh, carbon monoxide poisoning would also affect the brain and possibly cause hearing loss, especially if exposed to sound at the same time as the carbon monoxide exposure. So there are some experts who think there could be a kind of synergistic effect between some kind of autotoxin. Synergistic and meaning? Synergistic meaning um, greater than the whole, right? Okay. The parts are greater than the whole. So two things combining to create a, an effect that neither would create alone. Okay. Right? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Cumulative type. It, yeah, exactly. Okay. Cumulative is, would be another way of saying it. So um, a synergistic effect between some kind of autotoxin and some kind of infrasound or microwave, but there's really no way to test it because there's no way to do that test ethically. So, Without, like, hurting people. Because that would be kind of the whole point yeah. of doing it, right? To, like, you, see if it would happen, yeah. You would know that it would hurt people, and, and it's just, you can't do that kind of testing. 
Um, Especially so, if you're like so unsure, like since this whole thing is a nobody knows really. Yeah. So there, there, there's really no way to know, but that's certainly one possibility. And, and I think probably the best possibility, that's where the evidence to me seems to point, so you is, is to some kind of multiple cause. I think it's a psychosomatic thing. Well, but even then it would be multiple causes, right? Because, uh, well, presumably, because probably there was somebody who did really have some real symptoms, but then the psychosomatic effects spread to other people. And then they started to experience similar symptoms, but like you're saying, maybe not. Yeah. In well, and, and or but, the cleaner but, thing, like right. maybe there's something. But but the, you know the the other thing that that the medical professionals wanted to make clear is that psychosomatic doesn't mean that you're making it up. It doesn't mean that it's not real. It doesn't mean that you're somehow a weak-minded person, right? It just means that these are symptoms that are created. And are real and are physically present, but are created within one's body as opposed to being created from an exterior source. Okay. So that's definitely, you know, a possibility. But to me, what seems – and this is why I called it the so-called Cuban sonic attacks. And, and, and I just – I don't feel like it's being really properly framed when it's explained in, in the media usually that these are almost certainly not sonic attacks. Everyone keeps calling them sonic attacks. But the one thing that I found to be most clear in my research was that they are certainly not sonic attacks. Because there's no possible sonic weapon that could have done this. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Simply because... That we know of, though. That we know of. Now, could it be some type of device of which we are not aware? Certainly. It's aliens. It, could it be aliens? Henry Zabrowski would probably think so. I think it's aliens. Should, I also tend to agree with things that Henry Zabrowski says. Right. In general. Does <laughs> does Buffon have a file on this? I, I would assume so. <laughs> um, but, you know, we we really don't know. And And if you hear our government saying things about how they know, they don't know. They don't know who did this. They don't know how it was done. If they do, they're certainly not presenting us with any evidence that, you know, would convince me or should convince that anyone they truly else know, like, that they truly happening. know what's happening. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and, and for them to make, you know, political or, you know, strategic moves based on that, I think is, is really unfair. Do you think that's going to happen? Well, it's already happened. I mean, they pulled out, oh, they pulled you know, out the a diplomats. lot of our diplomats from, from there and they made a couple of diplomats... Cuban diplomats leave our country. So, I mean, they, they've already... And like I said, there have been people making reckless, I believe, reckless kind of accusations in regards to this, these incidents. But, you know, j just as with anything else, the main focus and, and certainly my main focus uh, in thinking about this are those people, you know, the diplomats, who, through no fault of their own, are being, you know, harmed... And not Nobody only that, why. but no one knows why. And no one's going to be or how. able to give them really an explanation. And that's got to suck. And has it, is it still happening that we know of? Or? Yes and no. There, Like I said, um, sort of at the beginning, there are more recent accounts from some tourists. But it, it's just not really clear that they're talking about the same thing or... 
There, there was also an incident in Kazakhstan more recently, which may be the same type of thing, but it's it's really not totally clear right now. So there, there'll be more that'll be coming out about this, I'm sure. But it was just such a weird, interesting thing that, you know, I wanted to look more into it and, and tell y'all about it. But it's it's still very, very mysterious. So yeah, that's the so-called Cuban sonic attacks. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on up. Today, day, okay. day, day. I am the luckiest, luckiest, luckiest man in the world. world. What's that from? I'm Lou, okay. Lou Gehrig. No. No. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> Making Gehrig's references. Disease? That was the the speech he made, and they all clapped. I don't know why, but it, what you said reminded me of it. I don't know. I'll, I'll cut that part out. <laughs> oh, God. I think you should keep it. <laughs> and what do you have for us today? So Ms. I'm really... Miss Chloe. Yes. I'm really excited about this. Um, I'm going to talk about the Toynbee tiles. Right. Now, here's the thing about the Toynbee tiles. I watched a documentary... Um, about these three, you know, enthusiasts who they did a lot of digging. They did a lot of research. They found a lot of weird stuff. Right. I'm going to talk about it, but I'm not going to reveal their ultimate findings simply because I feel like I would butcher the expl- explanation. We would be here for another two hours. Um, there's a lot, a lot that truly goes into it. Um, and it's just a very, very weird very weird thing that's going on here. Sure. So, like I said, mine's a, a thingy. It, mine's also a thingy thingy. So, all right. I came across the Toynbee tiles a while ago when I was doing some other research. Um, I looked at them. I thought they were kind of interesting and weird. I wrote it down, whatever. I never really went back to it. But I went back to it today, and I, like I said, I found this great documentary. So, it's... um based on a, a guy named Justin Durr. And he's this enthusiast that has been studying them for decades, just out of his own human curiosity and obsession. And um, it's just like what he's been focusing on. And he and two other guys that also have this same kind of interest. Um, like I said, they found a ton of weird, creepy shit. Uh, the documentary is called Resurrect Dead, The Toynbee Tiles. It's on YouTube. It's free. Y'all should watch it. Etc. And how do you spell it? Toynbee is T-O-Y-N-B-E-E. Okay. And when you say they're tiles... They are... In the street, they are like asphalt. It's kind of like pieces of artwork that you would find in the street. But they are found on sidewalks, in the middle of busy highways, in the middle of the street. It's... Hmm. Yes. Um... I will post pictures. That being said, we always say we're going to post pictures, but we never do. So I think I'm going to go ahead and make an Instagram page and post pictures that are related to our our mysteries and things. Because this is something you really got to see. Sure. Um, All right. So here's what they are. They are mysterious messages of unknown origins found in the streets. Oranges? Oranges. They're unknown oranges. Nobody knows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Unknown origins. Found in the streets in many cities all over the U.S. And there's a couple in South America. Hmm. So basically, there are tiles embedded 
in the asphalt. Here's what they say. Twin B idea in movie 2001, resurrect dead in planet Jupiter. That's what they say. Weird, yeah? Nobody mm -hmm. really knows what they mean. Um, so back to Justin Durr. He lives in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and that's where a large, of the amount, of, large amount of the tiles are located. Um, the first one he noticed himself was in 1996. He started taking notes, and he started um, writing down where they're all at. Like, they're at 96 in Chestnut, and this place, and this place. Um, so by that time, also, uh, he was able to head to the library and get on the internet and do a word search. Oddly enough, there were zero results. So he, like, put in Toynbee Idea um, in Movie 2001, Resurrect Dead in Planet Jupiter. No results. This is, like, early internet days. Sure. A couple of months later, he went back to the same thing, and he pulled up 10. Um, he found Toynbee.net. It was there that he found multiple listings in different cities on busy highways and rest, drop, rest stops. So somebody else who was, who was looking at these things and said, what is this? So I have a list of the cities. Um, I don't think this is all of them. Okay. But basically, we've got Kansas City. We've got Boston, Washington, D.C. There's one a block from the White House. Edison, New Jersey, Noblesville, Indiana. There's one in Times Square. There's one in Buffalo, New York. Uh, there's some in San Francisco. There's even a couple in Chicago. But I read that those have been paved over because the city of Chicago looks at them as nothing but graffiti. Sure. Which sucks because I want to go find one, <laughs> but we can't. Um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh uh, St. Louis, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Portland, Oregon, Roswell, New Mexico, um, you know, Atlantic City, Columbus, Ohio, Toledo, Indianapolis, um, Chile, Argentina, and Brazil. Those were the three in South America. So these are hundreds of sightings over decades. And do they all say the same exact yes. thing? Yes. And do they all look the same? More or less, they look similar. Look okay. The same. But, but they don't seem as though, for example, they've been, like, stamped. They, they seem as though they've been hand-done, or... Because they're not exactly yes. the same, right? Yes. Okay. Their theory is that they were carved from... Like, they were, like, stenciled and done from metal, or something, hmm. something of those sorts. Okay. Now, they do find out... They find somebody who's basically is the Tyler. Oh. Uh, and they find out how he's been doing it. Oh. Um, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get into that. Yes, yes. Kind of. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Okay. So there's, like I said, there's hundreds of sightings, um, and no one, no one really knows the author or, or the true, true meaning, but they have a basic idea of what's going on here. So mm. Toynbee idea, the first part. Toynbee references the historian and philosopher Arnold Toynbee, who wrote about the human species and he wrote about um, the planet Earth and stuff like that. The movie 2001 refers to 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. Um, you know, it's got amazing special effects for its time. It's um, obviously one of the best of, what is it, 70s? Made in the 70s, 80s? Uh, I believe it came out in 69. 69, okay. Somewhere around 68, 69. Yes. And resurrect dead. Obviously, the idea that there will be some sort of physical resurrection of the dead. Planet Jupiter is the largest planet in the solar system. Um, a gas giant. There's not really much going on there. Sure. So not only are these the main messages, some of the tiles have side texts. Here's where it gets very, very interesting. 
they are different than the main message. So it has the main message, which, you know, you see on every tile, but there's messages that differ between tiles. Um, there's side text, I mean, that differ between tiles. So I've got a list of them. Uh, there's one that says, please make and glue tiles as the American media is working with the Soviet Union and its thousands of fronts in the USA to dot, dot, dot. Second, under Freedom of Inf Information Act, NBC journalists funneled FBI information on me to Soviet dot, dot, dot. Now the cult of the Hellion are now searching for one, for more than one hell, parentheses, ideolo ideologies to get more reward, dot, dot, dot. And if this idea survives after all, make those Hellions pay for what they've done. I'm begging you. Um, there's another one that says, kill every journalist, I beg of you. And there's another one that says, I am only one man, and when I caught a failed, fatal disease, they gloated over its death. And there is even a tile they call the manifesto tile. Basically, it's four tiles, and it has this huge whole thing on it. Here's what it says. John Knight Ritter is the Philadelphia thug Hellion Jew who hated this movement's guts for years, takes money from the mafia to make the mafia look good in his newspapers so he has the mafia in his back pocket. John Knight sent the mafia to murder me in May 1991, journalists then gloated to my face about death and Knight Ritter, great power to destroy. In fact, John Knight went into Hellion binge of joy over Knight Ritter's great power to destroy. I secured house with blast doors and fled the country in June 1991. NBC attorneys, journalists, and security officials at Rockefeller Center fraudulently under the Freedom of Information Act all orders NBC executives got the U.S. Federal District Attorney's Office who got FBI to get Interpol to establish task force, force that located me in Dover, England which back home inquirer got union goons from their own employees union to down a sports journalist who with ease bashed in lights and windows of neighborhood car as well as men outside my house they're stationed there waiting for me nbc cbs group w westinghouse time time warner fox universal all of the cult of the hellion each one where much worse than Knight Ritter ever was, mostly Hellion Jews. When KYW and NBC executives told John Knight the whole coven gloated in joyous fits on how their Soviet pals found a way to turn it into a dot dot dot. Yeah, it's a lot of weird nonsense, right? Well, it just sounds kind of anti-Semitic. Yeah, it sounds super desperate like, and odd. It's It sounds like the kind of like, yeah, like... Um, cabal conspiracy theories that one would find on like i don't know the daily stormer or something mm -hmm. like it it just seems like pretty clearly anti-semitic i don't mm -hmm. know is that did they talk about that no or? okay um i don't think that's the basis the, okay. the hellion jews i'm not really sure what it means a lot of people don't know really sure what it means um that's the whole thing yeah it just seems like you know, this, like, cabal of, like, the Jew quote, the Jews, and, like, the media, and, he, I don't know, it just, it just seems, like, very conspiratorial. I mean, obviously. Yes. So, um, back to Justin Durr's story. On Sunday in the winter of 2000, around 4 a.m., Justin went to the corner store to go get a snack. 
On his way out, he noticed a mound of fresh tar on the crosswalk. When he investigated, he began to peel the edge of the tar paper, only to reveal a brand new Toynbee tile. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he claims that he was minutes away from the tiler. Wow. He found a fresh tile. Wow. Crazy, right? Yeah. So between 2000 and 2005, interest in the tiles increased, and they were featured um, in media and on the internet. They were more widespread. And actually currently, um, the ones that are showing up seem to be more copycat tiles than anything else. Sure. There are a lot that show up that are look very realistic and are very highly likely to be originals, that mm. the tiler's still out there doing his thing. Um, but there are also a lot of... Um, tiles out there that are copycats. That just don't, aren't as done, are done as well, or? Or, um, yes. Or, uh, also done, like, just different types of fonts. It says the same thing, but it's just a different style. Okay. They say that the, the earliest one was spotted in 1983. And so they, there's obviously, there's some that have been paved over this, then the other thing. Sure. And there's some that are hardly legible. Right. But they've been showing up, you know, pretty consistently for the past 35 years or so. Yeah. Oh, here's some actual pictures of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can see what you mean in terms of it being a stencil. Yeah. But yeah, certainly some of them are... Are different than others. You see the like side text here. Right, right. That's it's just like a whole list of like different ones. Hmm. Um, and then yeah. Yeah. Uh so Steve and Colin. Steve and Colin were two other of the enthusiasts that were also featured in the documentary. They met up with Justin and they started their whole inves- investigation, and um this is where the documentary takes off. They had very few clues to go on. Mm-hmm. One of the tiles, which was located in Santiago, Chile, had an address to a home in South Philadelphia. That's one of their clues. Hmm. Another of their clues is a brief newspaper article that was written in 1983. And the other clue is a play by David Mamet titled 4AM. The three went to the address, but no one answered the door. What's interesting is the fact that there were test tiles all over the sidewalk where this um, where this house was, mm. um, all over the areas around the house, there were test materials laid on top of each other, random letters. Some of them were in Spanish. And so obviously the Tyler had lived there or had definitely lived there in the past. Clearly that has something to do with it. Yes. Yeah. So they talked to some of the locals and they got some names. One of the men who lived there in the past was named Julius Paroli, AKA Railroad Joe. Another person who still currently lives there, his name is uh, Severino Verna. Uh, he is going to be the key name in this. Um, at first, they found out they couldn't get anything from him in that he never opened his door. There's a huge lead pipe with a padlock around the door. Yeah, windows boarded up. Um, all very, very private. They never, ever got an answer mm-hmm. from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and as for the newspaper article, oh, and we're also, we'll also get back to R- Railroad Joe. So as, for, as the newspaper article, 
It was found in the Philadelphia Inquirer and it was written March 13th, 1983. Here's what it says. Call me skeptical. It was written by a man named Clark DeLeon. Call me skeptical, but I had a hard time buying James Morasco. James Morasco is also another important name. Call me skeptical, but I had a hard time buying James Morasco's concept that the planet Jupiter would be colonized by bringing all the people on Earth who had ever died back to life and then changing Jupiter's atmosphere to allow them to live. Is it just me, or does that strike you as hard to swallow, too? Morasco says he is a social worker in Philadelphia and came across this idea while reading a book by historian Arnold Toynbee, whose theory on bringing dead molecules back to life was depicted in the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. Mm. There are no Some connections are starting to come together. Yep. There are no specific principles I found that that can make this possible, Morasco said, especially colonizing the planet Jupiter, which has a very poisonous atmosphere. The possibility of giving that planet an oxygen atmosphere is beyond even science fiction writers' imaginations. Now, that quote may sound as if Morasco doesn't believe it can be done, but that's not true. He thinks that between Toynbee and Stanley Kubrick, there's a way to pull it off. That's why he's contacting talk shows and newspapers to spread the message. He even founded a Jupiter colonization organization called the Minority Association, which he said consists of, quote, me, Eric, Eric's sister who does the typing, Frank, da, da, da. You may be hearing more from Morasco, and then again, you may not. So that was the blurb. That was the little blurb that was in the newspaper one day, wow. 1983. Mm. Moving on to the third clue. The third clue is David Mamet's play titled 4AM, which is about a radio show, a radio talk host, and a caller who calls in and explains his idea to resurrect the dead on planet Jupiter. All the things talked about in the play directly reference the tiles themselves. The play mentions dead molecules, and the only time that is mentioned is in this newspaper article that was written in 1983. And... Uh, the Clark De Leon newspaper article. So, but there are no found tiles that say anything about dead molecules. So the play, Mammoth's play, and the article are connected. Okay. So does David Mammoth have anything to do with it? Um, we don't know. His play was published after the article. And mm. Mammoth says that there was no caller, that he made the story up himself. So that's the thing. Mm. The guys in this documentary, um, these enthusiasts, these researchers, whatever, they do some they do some more digging. Like I said, there's a lot of digging and there's a lot going on here and there's some details that I could go into that would be more difficult to explain. Like sure. they did contact Clark De Leon asking about the name James Morasco and um, they looked also they also looked up the name in like a uh, an old phone book and they only got one James Morasco and in Philadelphia in Philadelphia and the well Clark DeLeon said that he was from he forgot he was either from a town called Fishtown or Kensington it was one of those that, oh. that was in an email from Clark DeLeon the, the men oh, okay, got, okay, okay, they okay, contacted okay. him and everything um, he the author of the article said that he he doesn't remember much and that it was just a, it was just a phone call. And the guy had a quote, soft bass voice mm -hmm. and he was blue collar, proud of his education. Um, but they couldn't find 
any James Morasco that was a social worker that lived during that time. The only James Morasco they found um, was a man who uh, actually like had had his voice box removed and couldn't even oh. speak. And by the t- and in 1983 would have been in his like 70s or something. So it's obviously not. They found that was another dead end. They had many dead ends um, okay. through this investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do some. They do their digging. Justin, Colin, Steve. Those are their names. Uh, so like I said before, Railroad Joe. They did some more research on him. They find that he was a railroader who worked for Conrail. Steve went and found a Conrail map from the 80s. The map showed the railroads, and each city that the roads stretched through had a tile. Oh. It went from the East Coast as far west to Kansas City, and that was the furthest that it went west. It perfectly matched where the tiles had been, been found. No further west, no further east, no further south, except for South America. Furthermore, they found an article detailing the making of a new telescope, the biggest one at the time, and it was being shipped in pieces all the way to Chile through Conrail trains. The article that they read mentions Julius Paroli, a.k.a. Railroad Joe, by name. It all made sense. So at that point, it's like... Seems to point to him. He's got to be the Tyler. Right. Furthermore, the Paroli family, their main occupation was carving headstones for grave sites. So they would have been, you know, so, familiar with some of these techniques. It made sense, right? Sure. The only problem, quote unquote, Steve says, the fatal flaw was that Paroli died in 1987 and that these tiles, uh, these tiles were still being found way, way past then. Um, right. And so you said he didn't even start seeing them until the mid nineties. So. Exactly. Um, so as I continue to watch, this documentary, uh, the like I said, they're digging more and more, and they find some weird things. They hit a bit of a dead end, but in my opinion, they basically found the Tyler. Um, they're unable to speak to him. They still don't know exactly what the message means behind the tiles, specifically the manifesto tile, which personally I'm I'm most interested in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Minority Association is a group that was mentioned in the newspaper article. It's a bigger clue than I've talked about. Um, there's a lot more to it. The name James Morasco, uh, although it first turned up as a dead end, it comes up again, links the mystery together. So what I suggest that everyone go and watch the documentary, like I said, it's on YouTube for free. It's called Resurrect Dead, The Mystery of the Toynbee Tiles. I almost don't want to ruin it for people. Um, like I said, my biggest concern is that I'm not going to be able to reiterate this well. I'm not going to be able to um, fully explain what's going on because there's so much more to it. Like they even find, they end up going to this like shortwave radio convention um, because they found this other guy who said, I, over the TV one night, I heard Toynbee Idea. movie 2001 and it interrupted my it interrupted the news and it was like static electricity and like this weird thing and he and the man they found he's telling them stories like i called the station station was like hey you're not the only person that Hmm. that happened to interesting interesting right and it also kind of goes back to that address on philadelphia street and like i said severino 
Verna, I believe. His nickname is Sebi. Um, in the end, they do believe that Sevi Verna is the Tyler and that he used the name James Morasco mm. as a um, alias. Sure. Um, and that he, they have these writings from um, a man, I forgot what, web, what the website, I don't think it was Twinbee.net. It might have been Twinbee.net. But there was a man who was also doing a lot of research into this, hit a dead end. He's like, here, here's all of my information. Maybe you guys will have more luck mm. than I do. And they see, and they, they seem to do okay. have more luck. So for the conclusion of the story, see Resurrect the Dead, Toynbee Tiles. I just, I want to I do this story justice, and I don't think I'll be able to. Well, and I feel like they're the ones, it's just a lot of little puzzle pieces sure. that connect together. Sure. And that because of this, they found this. Because of this, they found this. And blah, 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 blah. And it's a lot of talking to locals in the area of that Philadelphia address. But you do feel like they basically have found the answer. Yes and no. I think they found the Tyler. They'll never be. They, he will not come out of that house. They'll never okay. talk to him. They never made contact with so him. Some mystery still remains. They don't know what the okay. whole. You know, sure. people are attacking me. Um, I left the. I fled the right. country. Right. Soviet Union killed journalists. This, then the other thing. All of that really interesting conspiracy theory type stuff. They st- don't know okay. behind that. But basically. Basically, I think some guy believed that he found the answer to resurrecting the dead by bringing back to life dead molecules. And he believed that Arnold Toynbee's idea and the ideas found in David Mamet's play and the ideas found in 2001 Space Odyssey were this grand thing that could be possible and he tried to make it public and when people when the media didn't listen to him when they mocked him when they shot him down this was the only thing that he could think of doing yeah it seems plausible so do yeah. can we bring that bring dead people back to life you think yeah i mean people are brought back to life every day no, I mean, literally, like, people are medically dead. Their heart oh, stopped. They duh. Don't... I was like, no, I'm just saying. Like, What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I think, you know, 200 years ago, people would have thought that was science fiction. But, I mean, literally, we do bring people back from the dead every day. So, you know, are the, these ideas seem pretty crazy, but, you know. That's the manifesto title. Okay. Okay, so. Cool. Okay. We're moving on to Weird, weird Shit in the, the News. <laughs> okay, so what I'll, you got? What I'll you go got? first on that too. Okay. So okay, so um, oh, and then at the end, I'll I'll talk about my sources because I forgot to do those earlier. So I saw this article. It's a National Geographic article, and the headline is "Escaped Bear Startles Pedestrians on Crowded Street." <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> I think I heard about this. Yeah, so this was um, published February 1st, uh, an article by Kerry Arnold. And it, this actually happened in uh, Basra, Iraq. And apparently they have stores there where you can just buy a bear. So <laughs> that's a thing in Iraq, I guess. Cool. Uh, so it was a Syrian brown bear 
and he basically, or whatever it, basically uh, broke out of its cage and um, started lumbering around the streets of Basra. And uh, a bunch of people took pictures of it and videos. Uh, I mean, you can see it. It's just kind of like, you know, walking mild-manneredly across the street while there's, like, a guy in a motorcycle who's, like, looking back, like, what the hell is going on? Um, And it, you know, it just kind of was freaking people out. But it, it apparently didn't really hurt anyone or anything like that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It was just kind of like wandering around and, uh, eventually it was, uh, captured and they, they returned it back to its, um, which is kind of sad as well. I wish that they they could just roam around. Apparently it's also like a pretty endangered subspecies. So I don't, I don't know that they necessarily should be like keeping these in, stores and selling them but i don't know they obviously have different laws in iraq than we have here about that kind of stuff so yeah weird bear wandering around the streets that's my weird shit thought it was pretty weird i like it thanks so i'm a huge tweeter twitter user twitterer and i found on twitter today a Big Mac diamond ring is turning fast food fans into poets. So as a promotion for Valentine's Day, McDonald's is giving away a $10,000 burger ring to the person who can come up with the best Big Mac-inspired vows. <laughs> oh, okay. Bling Mac. I'm, I'm looking at the Bling Mac right now. It, it is a, a hamburger shape. And it apparently has jewels encrusted on it. It's it's basically a Big Mac encrusted with jewels. Is it's the best a ring, way I can say it. And it's in like a ring box that looks like a a burger a burger yes. box. So here's some here's some winning tweets. Uh, so so yeah. So basically, you get ten thousand dollars. You. It says McDonald's is giving away a $10,000 gold and diamond Big Mac ring and an extra $4,286 in cash for taxes or whatever. You just have to tweet your love for the Big Mac and tag hashtag bling Mac contest. And this is still going on? This is currently going on. Run out. Take advantage of it, people. Go ahead. Get your ring. Get the bling Mac. Here's, here's a good one. This one says, betwixt three buns, lifting my spirits, entwined with rare meat, no man ever was so stricken, gastronomically... A love had begun at McDonald's hashtag bling Mac contest. Marrying you, I'm loving it. And for forevermore we shall eat. Consider this and please let us win this run. Matthew Antolini. Good job, Matt. Courtney. Maddie. Courtney says, every day I thank God that I was able to meet you. Meet you. <laughs> let us meet you as a family. From here on, let us. Continue to love each other. We were able to catch up after years apart and fell in love. It's not because of your hot buns, but because of your saucy personality. <laughs> what can I say? I'm loving you. I like that one. When we met, I was engaged to another. She was a real whopper. But after that time, after that first time, I found myself coming back again and again. I DK if it was your sauciness or the way you felt in my hand, but I fell in love with you. You're the only number one for me. <laughs> By Dan Diaz. Okay. 
Okay, we should probably <laughs> we should probably wrap up. Wait, you don't want to hear the the Shakespeare one? Okay, yes, I by, do. I do want to. By hear at Tyler's online. Okay. What smell through yonder drive-through breaks? <laughs> it is the meat, and secret sauce is the best. <laughs> Arise, window, and indulge me in taste. What is already rich in scent might be richer still in taste. If I could so much as nibble on the bun, I might experience divinity. Good job. That one was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I liked think. it. I I liked it. All right, everybody. Go get your Big Macs. Okay, so I just wanted to mention real quick my uh, sources. Sources, go. Because I, I had a bunch of them uh, from different news articles. Uh, so Avery Thompson at Popular Mechanics, Carl Engelking at Discover Magazine, John Seifer, like I mentioned, at Just Security, Sharon Weinberger of Foreign Policy. Sharon! Josh Lederman, Lauren Nairgard, Michael Weisenstein at The Associated Press, Laura Corrin, Patrick Oppman at CNN, Julian Borger, Philip Yickel at The Guardian, and Adam Rogers at Wired Magazine. Go so, team! Yeah, thanks for, for looking into that weird shit. Thank you for listening, guys. And please do subscribe and rate, rate to us. Do all the good stuff. Love us. <laughs> good job by you. Stop it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's Amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.